Welcome to this second episode of our podcast on research-informed teaching. I'm Catherine Hobbs. Our host today is Dr Jeanette Zarkel. She is an academic and researcher from the Faculty of Arts, Creative Industries and Education at UWE, all of whom have been inspired by research to influence their own practice and teaching. A key point that comes out is the value of teaching research skills to students, tapping into their natural curiosity and exposing them to the universal truth that not all questions have an answer um, or have already been answered, even by eminent academics. So new questions can arise, for example, recently the effects of the COVID pandemic on children's learning that research can try and answer. And we don't have all those answers to start off with. And I think that's particularly powerful from the graduate who's on a teacher training programme, understanding that, that she might find out new things. And that's important. So exposing students to this helps them to reflect and formulate really good questions and to be rigorous in answering them and understand that the nature of research and rigour alerts them that there's a huge body of existing research already out there. You can tend to think that all you've learned at university is all there is. No, there's a lot more than that. But also it provides them, by exposing this area, it provides them with lots of the skills that employer surveys say they really look for in graduates. So I think it presented a really holistic picture of the learner, the academic and the researcher coming together to help students understand that research is important. Thanks, Catherine. I uh, reflected a lot on this episode and what I took from it is the variety of terminology that we use when we talk about research-informed teaching. A lot of the conversation was around how research informs curriculum and students' learning experience. Um, And indeed, Jeanette's terminology varies from, from that Um, And it just encapsulates how we often, when we talk about research-informed teaching, we talk about research-informed learning, research-informed curriculum design, research-informed practice, and there are multitudes of dimensions. And I I felt like you, the focus here today was on the teaching element and also on the pedagogic research and the scholarship of teaching and learning that is built on and positioned, grounded in the literature and on primary research about our own teaching practice. And that's how we develop it and grow it. My name is Jeanette Zakel. I'm Director of Student Experience in the Faculty of Arts, Creative Industries and Education. And I'm really happy to host this podcast um, with one of my former students, Mariam Bibi Bam, who studied um, early childhood studies and linguistics. And the linguistics part was, was where I was teaching her. And one of my colleagues, Myra Evans, who is a fellow director um, in the faculty. And I would um, like to start by just giving a little bit of an overview of what our podcast is about. Because when we talk about research uh, in the curriculum, research-led teaching, people can often think that it's this professor with loads of uh, funding and a lot of publications talking about their research. And that is part of it, of course. But research-led teaching and teaching that involves research uh, involves a lot of other things. And we have questions around inclusivity. We have questions around pedagogy, um, career development, learning about the world. Um, And the basis of all good teaching, really, within university and other teaching sectors, is research. 
in order to do excellent teaching, you draw on your research, you experience research, you get inspired by research, um, etc. So this podcast is really about uh, that, about talking to two um, colleagues who are very much living the research in the curriculum in various ways and have lived it in a lot of really interesting ways. And um, this is where I shall shut up and I shall introduce my two guests. So first of all, Mariam Bivivam. Mariam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also what research-led teaching, um, research in the curriculum means to you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, um, Jeanette. So um, I have been working in the education sector for the past 17 years in various roles, both internationally and in, um, nationally as well. Um, I'm currently working as a reception teacher in Wiltshire whilst doing my leadership development program with Teach First. Um, I'm also doing a PGD in education leadership at Bath Bar University as part of the program. Um, and, you know, uh, so the research-led teaching really, to simplify it, it describes how existing research underpins curriculum content and my everyday practice really. And this might be my own research findings or the research output of others. Um, now, currently, because I'm still developing as a teacher, um, I have to write journal articles every single week. So it's all about reflective practice. Um, so, you know, as part of that reflective practice, I'm always looking at what went well that week or what didn't go so well, how I can improve it and what research underpins everything so that I can improve the teaching and the learning of my students. So, yeah, in a nutshell, that's what it means to me. Thank you so much, Maria. Yeah, and the next um, guest we have is Myra Evans. My, Myra, what does research-led teaching mean to you? And who are you? <laughs> Hello. Um, I am uh, the Faculty Academic Director for Inclusive and Practice-Oriented Curriculum, but I'm also a senior lecturer in the journalism team and have been teaching journalism at UWE for about 12 years now. Now, I came to UWE from a very practice base. I was um, a reporter and a video journalist at ITV. Uh, so when I came to UWE, I came to teach the practice. Um, but as I got teaching the practice, I started getting really interested in how people learn and the best ways to teach practice. Now, I've already realised that I've already said something that's not true. There is no best way. There are different ways with different strengths and different weaknesses. But I got really into that and I, I decided to do a little bit of research into that myself. And um, that one thing led to another, as they tend to. And uh, now I'm uh, halfway through my uh, education doctorate at UWE, uh, looking at uh, the uh, teaching practice uh, based courses, uh, uh, teaching journalism through practice in higher education. Um, so, yeah, so my career has kind of developed, um, you know, still very much uh, part of the teaching team uh, in journalism. Um, I probably wouldn't call myself a journalist anymore, um, but I am more interested in the way people learn and how what I find out in my research can be applied back into the curriculum and across other disciplines as well, not just journalism. Much, Myra. I think what already... Um 
what already comes across here is that our careers have all been influenced by both, haven't they? By research, by teaching, and really shaped our careers. And I think with my own background, I very much started off as a researcher, and I did my PhD, and then I did various postdocs, and I, I did this long publication list and applying for research grants and all of that. But then I got inspired by research-led teaching and by, by teaching as a whole and pursued that um, as my career. So it's really interesting to see how, how both of your lives and both of your careers have been shaped by um, by research and by including pedagogical um, aspects in uh, in your uh, teaching. So both of all, both of you are currently teaching, and um, from reception to university, what is the role of research in this? So, uh, Mariam, if we start with you, how does research play a role in reception teaching? Yeah, so I think um, obviously, like Mara mentioned as well, knowledge is not static; it's not one-dimensional. And knowledge and understanding and the application of it is evolving and changing every single day. So teachers, researchers and students all play their part in understanding, um, exploring and applying that knowledge. So um, with me, <laughs> initially, what keeps me going uh, is this insatiable curiosity. I, I want to know the answers to the questions I was asking, especially as a person who's developing in my career. I want to know the answers to the questions I'm asking. And sometimes people don't have those answers, you know. And for me, that's really important because currently um, with Teach First, we work in schools um, that that are very diverse um, and we work in schools that help disadvantaged and uh, underrepresented minorities. Um, so I have to get it right. I have to, you know, what I'm teaching, I have to get it right. And I have to look into the research and sometimes I don't have the answers. And, you know, I, it's not always about the data. You know, you can look at the data and the data might say one thing, but then you have to merge data and your actual experience and the experience of others together in order to get the best outcome for your students. Um, so you have to elaborate the ways to crack open those mysteries. Um, and the thrill of discovering something that is new that is hard to compete with so like there's lots of like especially with the pandemic at the moment you know we'll have you know children haven't progressed the way they have or the, um the way they would usually because there's been so many barriers to their learning um and i think schools are a bit confused at the moment because we we all don't know what there's no research to help back these disconnects uh and we're, we're all trying different things to help our students progress as much as they can um and again it's all about that reciprocal um that reflective teaching you know thinking okay we've tried this this hasn't worked therefore what can we try next and what has the research said about this to help us progress our children so yeah it, you know research is a big part of what i do and um i wouldn't be able to do what I do without looking back on the research of others yeah yeah thanks Mariam and I think you're touching on the inclusivity aspects as well which I know is a great part of Myra's job Myra did you want to come in I do actually because something that uh, Mariam just said um, about the pandemic and the, and the way we've had to change our practices you know it's been really disruptive you know uh, but what, that's been quite a good thing for our pedagogy because we've had to think about different ways of doing things 
some of them have worked and some of them haven't. So our pedagogical research is absolutely paramount at the moment. We need to be thinking about, you know, how can we get that message across for our students and, and you know, and, and what's working for them and what's not. And, you know, sometimes uh, the work I'm doing in teaching journalism, we're, we're adopting a blended approach whereby some stuff's done remotely and some stuff is done in the classroom. And, and actually, sometimes we're doing it simultaneously as well. I've got half the class at, at home and half the class in the newsroom both working to produce material and experiential style learning so it's you know it's been a challenge for us all but a good challenge and a challenge that has, has brought out some real positives for embedding pedagogical research into the curriculum do you want me to say that last bit again Jeanette because I think somebody slammed the door in my house so it's been a challenge it's been a challenge for us all but a, a challenge um, that has brought out some positives uh, for embedding our pedagogical research and our pedagogical findings into the curriculum. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mara. And absolutely, um, it's uh, it's an interesting time at the moment for pedagogical research because we have had a really interesting trial, which obviously has led to a lot of difficulties as well. As Maria mentioned, uh, it can be very tricky, especially for for very young children. But also our, our students um, have experienced quite some dis disruption. Right. Going back to university, Mariam, when you when you studied with us, um, you were obviously very interested in research. And I remember you looking and, and writing essays and finding your own ways. But what encouraged you to then continue to do a master's, to continue to to conduct research? I think um, I just love looking. Like I said, sometimes you don't get the answers to questions. Um, and it's that thrill of discovering something new that is hard to compete with and you know um it is hard you know research is full of potholes um waiting to trip you up there's setbacks that strip you of your confidence um and you know and there's sometimes there's only those sudden unexpected glimpses of success but um i think the rarity of triumph in research um it makes it so alluring. And I think, um, I think with me, I have that unwavering determination and I, I just, I just want to know the, the answers or I want to do it, especially with teaching. I want to do it right. You know, my, my children, my students are so important to me and I cannot fail them. Therefore I have to do it right. Um, and even if the, in the end, if success does elude me, the process of exploring, um, that problem is a remarkable and rewarding journey. Um, and I think also, um, I think my passion has allowed me to change the research culture regarding outreach and education. Like I've been involved in so many other things, like for example, last, um, last year before I started my PGD and before I um, got involved with Teach First, I was working um, in the Gloucestershire Constabulary on um on an education outreach program and th that was something i never thought of doing but i kind of stumbled upon it and it was one of the most remarkable things i was doing and it was working with children with um um you know adverse childhood experiences and seeing how they can well we can help better their lives and that that was something i would never have got involved in but because i really wanted to improve that aspect, you know, I'm really, um, I really want to improve things for children or for the next generation. And that's what led me to going into that kind of direction. Um, 
and also I think through this experience, through university and writing research and doing conducting my own research, um, I've learned how to ask the right questions and how to be rigorous in solving them. Um, and it, it's it sits with me every day in you know in in the books I read, in the people I meet, and in everything really. And and that's why I, I love this journey. It's, you know, I'm still on this journey, and I love it. And I now I remember from when you were a student that you had all these different things going on at the same time and you were very energetic and were volunteering in a lot of different ways. But one thing that I found very impressive was your work with um, the uh, Muslims in the UK and Europe Symposium at Cambridge University, where you were then also invited to um, write an article for the proceedings. Right. What what happened there? So that was your proper sort of your proper research output of some of the work you've been doing. Yeah, and that was so that actually started off at UWE. Um, I just remember talking to one of my um, professors at UWE, um, Dr. Richard Eek, about music um, in 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 faith schools and how music plays. You know how music um, in the early years curriculum sometimes inhibits um, Muslim faith settings because some um, some Muslims don't. Um, listen to music would don't allow music in their settings so how can we overcome that and I was working in um, a setting at the time and I kind of changed how they how, how they were they were looking at that statement in the earliest foundation stage curriculum and then we got talking and then he introduced me to another professor Dr. Corbin Prabhatham from um, Edinburgh and then um, and then I wrote some papers with him and then I submitted it to Cambridge um, and was invited for the um, symposium. It was it was a great symposium, and then we um, I ended up writing um, a chapter for them in in one of their books. So yeah, that was brilliant. Um, and I think it just it just came about. It is it wasn't it wasn't something I was looking to do, but it was just something that that happened. <laughs> That's fantastic. But the um, initiative and the enthusiasm, I think, that shines through and also led to those those opportunities, um, I think, which is great. Myra, um, now to you. I mean, you were um, a newsreader for ITV and you were a broadcast journalist and, and then obviously um, came into, into education and into UWE. But how was that journey from the very practical to the then research and now research focused with your EDDs that you're, that you're doing at the moment? How did that come about? It was a really natural progression. So um, I had started doing some associate lecturing ooh, 12, 13 years ago at UWE to teach the practice-based elements into what was then quite a theoretical-based journalism course. And then the university changed the way it wanted its courses to be and, and was keen that courses got professional accreditation and, and um basically the course became much more practice oriented. So it went from a theory based to a practice based course. Um, along with this came more need for my skills. So I, I, I became full time and permanent. And initially I started to implement in the classroom the practices of the newsroom because that's what I knew. But the more I did this and that, you know, as time progressed, I realized that not all the practices of the newsroom were conducive to learning. And, you know, the classroom environment is very different to the newsroom environment. So I became really interested in, in how the students were learning and about 
journalism and about becoming a journalist and about that professional identity that they were creating. So I applied for a, a bursary from the uh, Centre for Moving Image Research and, and did a, a short journal article then, went to a couple of conferences, presented all that research. Um, and then that kind of led to my ED, which is now looking at two different models of, of teaching practice, uh, teaching journalism through practice in higher education. So I'm looking at Kolb's experiential learning model. And I'm also looking at the communities of practice model advocated by Leib and Wenger. And applying those or aligning those to two different case studies in the UK. And it's really interesting to, to see what's coming out of this. And, you know, the, the case study research that I've done is involved focus groups, interviews with students and, and graduates. And what's coming out of there is almost a hybrid of the two models. So, you know, it's really exciting for me. And whilst I suppose my origins are still very much in, in, in practice-based teaching and, you know, it's very much part of my job as the, as the director, you know, I do see the benefit of, of the research because you know what? None of us ever has an original idea or an original problem. And Marion was talking about problems that she'd, she'd experienced in her job. And, you know, I could guarantee that if you look back through, through, um, through literature, somebody else has experienced it too. And how did they tackle it? So that's where the benefit really comes in. And it also informs my teaching now. So now I'm not only just researching in the curriculum, my research is affecting the curriculum. So it derived from the curriculum and now it's, it's being implemented in the curriculum. Uh, so it's, it's almost come full circle, so to speak. Yeah, fantastic. And in both of your cases, it was the curiosity really that drove you to do what you were doing, right? It was almost like you said a natural progression. It just one thing led to another and then another. And, and there was this interest. But you know what, Jeanette, being a journalist with almost 20 years experience as a journalist and, and having to ask people questions became quite second nature to me. So, so doing the focus groups and doing interviews. Well, it's just like being a journalist again. So there is a bit of a crossover as well. Absolutely. And I think this is where research skills in the curriculum are so, why they're so important because research skills are not just skills for writing journal articles, um, but research skills are so much more, aren't they? Um, absolutely. Myra, I want to come back to you just for a little bit um, more. And that is about your current work in the faculty. And you have... Um, you, together with our director for research, have been looking at implementing research in the curriculum within the faculty uh, systematically, and you've done a lot of work there and really achieved um, achieved some results. So, what is um, what what have you done in order to ensure that that happens? Well, research in the curriculum in ACE, we are approaching it through two strands. So, David Greenham is looking at the scholarly work of colleagues and how that can be implemented in, in the curriculum. And I'm looking at research skills for students. Um, and it's funny that it comes off the back of your last comment, Jeanette, about um, employability skills. The lens I'm looking at it through is it followed the Global Skills Gap Report of 2019 that... Basically, that was a report with employers across the globe, hence the Global Skills Gap Report, um, and, and they identified where they saw that graduates were strong and where they were not so strong. And, you know, some of those gaps were in things like teamwork, communication skills, data analytics, 
skills that are taught through research skills. So I decided to map this global skills gap report onto one of our core competency frameworks in ACE. Uh, colleagues will remember that um, a few years ago, uh, Jane Roscoe launched a, a curriculum review and wanted to embed this core competencies of research professional enterprise into all our programmes. Out of that came competency frameworks. So I mapped the research competency frameworks to the global skills gap gaps. And there was a lot of crossover. Um, so now um, with Dave, uh, we are currently uh, looking at programmes within ACE and looking at where we can further support programmes um, that, that might need help in those areas. You know, some have a lot of scholarly work embedded, some don't. Some have a lot of research skills embedded, some don't. Um, you know, and one size doesn't fit all. That's that's the important message to get across. So, you know, what did I consider when I did this? I considered the the employability needs. I considered how we needed to re-articulate research to some students and some programmes to make it applicable for employability and not just those careers in traditional research routes. Because some students will turn off. Some students will turn around and say, no, that's not for me. I want to go out and be a journalist. I don't want to write about journalism, Myra. That's fine. But employers are saying the skills we teach you about research will help you to get that job too. So for me, that was the main consideration. Absolutely. And I, I remember teaching research skills for quite a few years. Uh, often students would go into that thinking, oh, this is not for me. This is not what I want to do. And then making that exciting and ma making that applicable um, and, 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 and working with that, that, that was really the challenge. And I think that's, that's important to keep in mind that this is what we're doing and not just teaching research of one particular type. So, Mariam, um, you mentioned earlier that you're very uh, keen on in inclusion and diversity. You have a very diverse um, set of students in your current role, but also in the other roles you've, you've had um, over the years, and you've worked in very diverse settings. Um, so how is, how is that uh, impacting on you, and how, how can you deal with that? How can you work with that to ensure that you're um, obviously having an excellent pedagogy and also... Uh, working yeah working well and achieving results yeah so i think um like like i said um the schools that we teach us works in um you know it's not about being good enough it's it's less do better um so there's just too many children who aren't getting the education that they that they, that they deserve and as a society it's time to basically raise our game <laughs> um you know so we 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 need, we know the stats, you know, a child from disadvantaged background is 18 months behind when they take their GCSEs. Um, you know, we spend nearly 17 billion a year dealing with problems and um, that start in childhood. You know, a disadvantaged child is three times more likely to be excluded from school. So we know these stats um, and therefore it's really, really important that we are inclusive in our teaching and we deliberately cultivate a learning environment where all students are treated equitably, you know, having equal access to learning and pupils feeling welcome and valued and supported in their learning and that we attend to social identities um, and we um, seek to change the ways um, systematic inequalities shape dynamics in our teaching and learning spaces. Um, because those 
spaces affect individual experiences um, and they can impact students a lot. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, it's looking at so many, it's obviously inclusive teaching is an umbrella term for a complex um, network of pedagogical issues and strategies. Um, but, you know, just ensuring we look at what the data says, what the research says, and then making sure we don't we don't carry on making those mistakes. Um, so yeah, it, you know, and at the moment, interestingly, I work, I'm a Muslim teacher in a Catholic school. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, you know, even, you know, I'm thinking about the students, obviously, all the time, but even the the way I have to present myself in a Catholic school and how my colleagues adhere to me, you know, we, we look, we're looking at that benefits of, looking at the benefits of transparency of creating equitable learning and teaching environments for myself and supporting others and you know um there's a lot to change but um there's a lot of hope so it's great yeah that sounds that sounds really interesting and that sounds like you will have some stories that uh, that will be very interesting as well from that setting but i think that's great and this is exactly this inclusivity and this this um, respect for one another and you know wanting to achieve the best for for the learners at whichever level we we teach them really that that is behind um, i think what what all of us are are wanting to do Fantastic. So let's uh, think about the future. What is the future holding for you, Mariam? Oh, well, uh, the future is so exciting. And obviously, there's so many different things I'm presented with all the time. But um, before I started Teach First, I also got accepted for a PhD at Cambridge University. So I think that is still the goal after I've still got one year of my PGD. Um, so um, I'm due to submit my QTS portfolio just on Monday next week. <laughs> and then I've got my PGD for another year. Um, and hopefully, because I'll have the credits for a master's, I might do a second master's and then, um, yeah, going on to a PhD, hopefully. Fantastic. That sounds excellent. And then you may actually be, turn, be turning into that researcher with the uh, the big research grants and the long list of publications. I haven't thought that far ahead yet, Jeanette, but um, yeah, it's the the whole point, I think, especially in, in this, um, within us as well, I think we do a lot of research with impact. And I think if it impacts communities and the outreach is great, then I'm, I'm all the more for it. But um yeah, just taking it one step at a time at the moment. Yeah, and I think it's great. And I think it's it's fantastic to have that background and to go into it with that perspective and knowing knowing the groundwork. And I think it's very similar to what Myra has been doing, namely knowing the groundwork, knowing knowing the practical issues and the practical challenges and then applying research to that, which gives it a totally different feel from just doing research for research sake, not necessarily know, necessarily knowing the practical aspects of it. Myra, what do you think um, we can do more to link research and teaching in the future? Obviously, you've been doing quite a lot of work on that already, so it would be mean to to sort of ask you <laughs> outright now, but is there anything else we can do? I think we all need to better articulate the value of research, um, not just in becoming a researcher, not just in higher study, but also in gaining a job. And I think that's a message that students need to hear and a message that staff also need to uh, articulate potentially better 
that we need to basically say it's not just about going on to do a PhD, although that is great. And by the way, Mariam, if you are going to do a PhD, give yourself loads of time. You crazy people like me do it alongside a full time job. And it, yeah, it's hard, but good luck. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not just about doing a PhD. It, 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 it's about also, you know, the, the skills that employers are looking for, making an impact in society and that they're skills that, that are useful across the board. Mariam, anything to add? Yeah, I completely agree with Myra. Um, I think students, especially, you know, in the time of gadgets and social media and stuff, students need to learn how to learn and how to solve problems. You know, education used to be that one shot game. Now it has to be a lifelong game and you don't just get educated once. It's not about just doing a degree and that's it. You need to go in between learning and work. You have to bring, especially in, in my in my job role, you have to bring professionals in to the classroom to teach. You have to work on projects for real organizations from the beginning and you have to go out in the environment, into communities, and you have to understand the real problems that people are facing so you can shape learning around those problems rather than just look at data or rather than just look at a textbook. You have to go into the communities to actually learn. And absolutely, Mariam, it is that holistic, um, that holistic approach, isn't it? And I think that has been shining through what we've been saying um, today, namely that you can't really dissect it. You can't really take one without the other, but it's bringing them together and, and making them work alongside one another that, that really shapes um, what we're doing and what, what is good. Right. Brilliant. Um, it was really lovely to talk to you and I really enjoyed this. Um, I would like to thank Stephen Roberts for helping us record this podcast and also thank Catherine Hobbs, who's organizing the overall um, podcast series for um, allowing us to do this uh, piece of work. And yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Jeanette and Mary. It was, it was lovely talking to you both. Thank you both. Bye. Thank you very much to Jeanette and her guests for a really fascinating conversation. I look forward very much to hearing about how their work progresses, Jeanette with her research, Myra's PhD, and of course, Mariam's work in the classroom. We'll be back with episode three very soon, which features Petra Petrova and her two guests talking about medical education, but actually giving us a very broad view of how that impacts other areas of research informed teaching. <laughs>